Ah. Hello. It's me, Tim. Uh, coming to you this month from my home. Um, I usually, for these intros, try to do them in places of outstanding natural beauty or spiritual significance. Um, but this month, for reasons which I'll explain shortly, I haven't had a huge amount of time. Um, so I'm just filming this from a place which actually uh, is very beautiful to me and has some spiritual significance to me, uh, which is just a little patch of land down the road from my house, uh, which seems to be a pretty well-kept secret. Um, it's grown nice and wild and it doesn't really lead anywhere, um, but it's a two-minute walk from my front door and there's lovely birds and squirrels and uh, nice things, which during uh, the past year, during lockdown, was a real little refuge for me. I used to um, come and sit here and find a bench to sit and be quiet on and listen to the birds and watch the squirrels and find myself feeling a little bit more peaceful than I did before. Um, so even though there's no historic chapel or whatever great beautiful things for me to show you um it's a place which is meaningful and also happens to fit in with quite a time tight time schedule this month and my guest for this episode is my another one of my colleagues um this is i think probably the last in my series of conversations with work colleagues um Although, who knows, uh, I might bump into somebody tomorrow at work and decide that they'd be a good podcast guest. Um, but Dan isn't just a work colleague, he's also a really great friend. Um, somebody who I've met through this kind of odd social uh, experience that we've all been going through this past year. Uh, never met him in real life. He lives in the county of Nottinghamshire, which is where Robin Hood is from, amongst others. And I live in the county of Essex, and those two counties are separated by time and space. So we've never actually hung out in real life, but we hang out a lot virtually, both for work and just for fun, to catch up. And he's somebody who I love very much, and I think you too will love him uh, after this episode. Um, there, I'm not going to say too much because the interview speaks for itself. I, it's not an interview, it's a conversation. The conversation speaks for itself. Um, but what I will say is that this is one of my favourite episodes of the podcast. I think we talk... So, the, this, I mean, this, this is something we talk about in the, in the conversation. Um, I asked Dan to be on the podcast because June which is the month that I'm recording this in, even though it comes out on the 1st of July, is Pride Month. Um, certainly here in the UK, I don't know about the rest of the world. Um, and Dan actually suggested to me that it would be good to get somebody, in his words, out and proud um, to be on the show. And I'm very lucky that I know lots of people who are out and proud. Um, my life has been blessed with lots of 
LGBTQIA plus friends. Um, but Dan is something really special. Um, and so when he made that suggestion, I thought I couldn't do much better um, than asking him to be on the show. And I think you'll agree. He speaks very movingly with great humor, but also in a way which um, is well, well moving and at times hard to hear. Um, particularly for somebody like me who comes from the background of organized religion. Um, Dan talks a bit about his experiences of homophobia. Um, and I must admit, I felt almost surprised by some of his stories because um, Dan is a gay man who is married has been for a long time um, and I just thought that broadly as a society we were kind of cool with that now um, I know that there's still all sorts of issues of prejudice to deal with as a society around transphobia and around sexualities and gender identities which people find odd or scary or different but I thought that a man loving another man was fairly well accepted now. And like I say, I was blown away by some of Dan's experiences and stories which he shares in this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll let it talk for itself, the conversation, because I think, like I say, I think it's a really good one and Dan expresses this all much better than I can. Um, but it's a, it's a good one and like I say, it's one of my favorite uh, that I've done. Um, it's a, yeah, Dan's great. Um, so we'll get onto that in just a second. A little bit of news. Um, I am changing job. Um, I, as most of you know, have been working in the field of digital mental health support, uh, a really important field and a field which I think uh, helps people and makes a difference. Um, but I am going to leave that to be a hospital chaplain. Um, something which I am really nervous about. Um, it's gonna be a new, uh, quite a scary experience. Um, I'll have to deal with stuff that I haven't had to deal with before. But, you know, there are challenges, things in life which are challenging and stressful and scary that you also don't give a shit about. Um, and then there are things in life which are challenging and stressful and scary that you do care about and challenges that you want to rise to and scary things that you want to face and learn to be good at. And the type of challenges that are gonna come my way as a hospital chaplain are things which I don't know how I'll prepare for and maybe in some ways I can't prepare for them. Um, but they're the kind of things that I want to be good at, you know? They're the type of things that matter to me, that are at the core of who I am and supporting people through, you know, the hardest points in life and being a friend to people when they need it is something which I think is world-changing um, and that I, I want to, to be good at and want to do with people. So that's really exciting. So next month, oh no, well no, not next month. I've got to, I've got to work my notice. Um, so let's say in a couple of months, this podcast will be 
presented by Tim Leeson Hospital Chaplain, as opposed to Tim Leeson Online Mental Health Support Participation Worker. Hospital Chaplain trips off the tongue slightly better. So that's super exciting. Um, I've got some nerves about going back into um, faith-based work. Um, I, as you know from the conversations, if you've been listening to the podcast, I loved a lot of my time working in the church and there's also stuff working for the church which uh, wasn't good for me and which having left that scene for the past two years I've been able to work through and sort out and grow and it's been good for me um, to, to leave that scene for a while and yeah look I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on too much about this because you want to get to the conversation with Dan rather than hearing me talk about this but um it's uh, something which I'm cautious about and you will hear me talk more about in the coming episodes, I'm sure. Um, one other bit of news is uh, after a kind of quite pretty tricky couple of weeks with my dad being se pretty seriously unwell for a while, he's okay now, um, thanks for asking, um, and some, some difficult family stuff to deal with, I got a call from my mum, uh, I guess now... 10 days ago or so uh, to let me know that my Orpa had died. Um, Orpa is the German word for granddad. Uh, so my German granddad, my mum's dad, uh, passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's a weird kind of bereavement because, you know, for, for all of my life, as far as I can remember, I, th I, this isn't true of the first couple of years of my life, but everything that I can remember, I've never lived in the same country as Orpa, um, and I've seen him maybe once a year, if I was lucky. Um, so it's not like, you know, people who are lucky enough, blessed enough to have parent, grandparents who they see every weekend, who live down the road from them, uh, it's a different kind of grief to that. You know, I'm not losing something which is a kind of regular prominent feature of my life, but I am losing someone, or I have lost someone who was a huge cheerleader of me, um, who supported me uh, at times financially, but more importantly, supported me with kind of encouragement and interest and care. Um, he was particularly interested in my stuff about religion. Um, and, you know, we shared that. He, he read a lot about theology and faith and that kind of thing. Um, and he loved the fact that I was kind of interested in academic kind of research and studies. He loved the fact that I got a doctorate. He was super proud of me. He came to, not my doctoral graduation, because that was during COVID and he was already too unwell, uh, even if it wasn't in COVID. But he came to my master's graduation, traveled from Germany to be with me for that. A graduation which I wouldn't probably have bothered going to if it wasn't for the fact that it would have made him proud to be there and to see me in all of my robes. Um, so I'm going to stop talking in just a moment, but I want to... I mean, this is such a minor thing. It doesn't... It feels almost trivial. But I do want to dedicate this episode of the podcast to Orpa, um, to his memory. Um... I think he'd have probably found a lot of the conversation with Dan quite challenging. He was pretty old school. Um, but 
you know, he, he loved the questions and the asking, the philosophy and the pursuit of knowledge. And well, I know that he was proud of me and I am proud to have had him as my author. So this is for him, whatever, whatever reality existence looks like, who knows beyond the, you know, past, past that, past death. Um, but whatever it looks like, if he's still around somewhere, if he's conscious in any way, um, I, I love you and I, I miss you. Um, okay, on with the show. Um, little heads up, this conversation with Dan is a sweary conversation. Um, and right from the beginning, includes some category C level swear words. Um, so if you're not up for that, maybe just fast forward the first five minutes or so. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I'll see you on the other side. Are we a, a non-sweary? No, you can swear as much as you like. Check this out. Cobblers. Uh, poppycock. Horseradish. I can't think of a, like, silly swear now. <laughs> you jumped straight in with fuck. Yeah, I mean, that is my go-to swear. Is it? Is that your favourite swear word? No, I think it's my go-to... Is it my... I think twat's my favourite. Twat is a good one, yeah. I um, I nearly said I like twat, but that's... I <laughs> well, I it's mean, got this, like, quite harsh sound to it. Um, yeah. But it's not as harsh as cunt. Cunt is one I can't... I can't get... I like... I can't. I can. I can't say it. I just don't just like that word. It. I know. I well, I did, but I can't say it in a way like in a sweary way, like in a way that I'm actually using it in the context of a swear word. I feel like it just doesn't. There's some people who it really suits, and I'm not one of them. Yeah. Um, I it think being Scottish helps. It, maybe it doesn't form in my mouth very naturally the word, but like sometimes I do spit one out. <laughs> I find it hard to like, I, yeah, it's not a, com- it's not a nice word to say. And, and not by which I mean, it's an offensive word, although that is also true. I mean, it's like, it doesn't feel good to say it. Like fuck feels good to say it. It's got a nice, like plosive. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a satisfying word. Fuck. I was, um, I put, I was in a Google, no, was it a, Zoom, a Google meet earlier and I put captions on. I've never tried the captions option before. Um, oh, yeah. And it was really good, like, um, but it didn't like some of the swear words. Um, it didn't like fuck or shit. It, it, it like does asterisks. Oh, um, does it? That's clever. Yeah, but it, but what it allows is twat and bollocks. Really? That's yeah. interesting. I'd like to have yeah. been in that meeting in Google HQ where they were deciding which swear words they would asterisk out and which ones they'd um, they'd keep. Yeah. I, th- I thought you were going to say you'd like to be in the meeting where we. It was me and Anne Marie like experimenting, and and we just kept saying swear words for half an hour really that would also be fun yeah just get find a list of swear words from the mildest to the most extreme see yeah. where the line is yeah and um, we've been joined by my fat cat which is very nice this is her first appearance on the podcast hi um, fat cat you can just see her two legs here i did um just before lunchtime i did uh, a yoga class and was on camera for that and um she just i mean it shows how often i do yoga 
that the cat was absolutely like baffled by what the hell was going on. And the yoga class was like 45 minutes. And the whole time she was like pacing around me, sniffing me, <laughs> headbutting me, like just absolutely <laughs> beside herself with anxiety about why I was doing whatever it was she thought I was doing. Um, and oh. now here she is. So I think maybe she's just being a little bit like, she's just feeling sentimental today. I don't really know. I mean, you said like yeah. she was, had this like, anxiety. It's a good job to that because I was about to say, was she being a bit of a cunt? Um, I would never use that word to describe. To describe <laughs> neither would I. Neither would I. Have you ever have you ever directed that word towards your dog? No. Exactly. Exactly. I. But have you directed it towards your husband? No. Oh, okay. Okay. No. 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 I call him twat quite a lot. Yeah. But, but that's twat, we, like that's, that's affectionate, isn't it? I think it does. It feels affectionate. We say debat to each other a lot, which means don't be a twat. Debat. Oh, so okay, we cool. are like, oh, just fucking debat. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. I'm going to use that. Debat. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, I mean, we could just talk about swear words for an hour. I, I mean, yeah. that that would make for an entertaining podcast. Um, but. It, it would be good to talk about some stuff that's not swear words, um, mm. partly because, and you've, in a way, you've only got yourself to blame for this, because when I was talking about potential future podcast guests, you suggested that I should get someone who is out and proud for Pride Month, because it's June. Okay. And um, y- you are out and proud, uh, as, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, and I'm certainly out, and I'm certainly, a lot of the time, proud. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so there you go. So, um, it would be good to talk a little bit about that kind of stuff. Um, as well as the kind of swear words, we don't have to do it instead of, we can do it as well as, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just to get the conversation started, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, I think, so we had a conversation, um, a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, um, in which you talked about your experience of after you had come out of not really being on board with the whole kind of pride movement at first and it taking a while for you to kind of get your head around that. Um, yeah. And I found that super interesting and I wonder whether you might be up for telling yeah, telling us why that is. Yeah, this will be, it will be interesting because I don't know that I, have talked about this an awful lot with many I've said bits about it with people I know but I don't think I've ever um had like a full-on conversation about that journey uh, to what kind of I guess what pride means or what it used to mean mm. to me in the context of kind of LGBTQ or queer pride um and and also actually what the word means pride I think when you were saying like earlier about being out and proud I was just having a little think of like am I proud? Like, um, sometimes Mm. I am, sometimes I'm not. And like what that really means. But, um, yeah, the, my relationship with pride is, is really interesting. I actually actively used to hate it. Um, when I first came out, um, and not to like challenge you straight away, Tim, but like you um, (laughs) said, (laughs) um, something about since I've, been out or something i just all i want to say really is coming out is a never-ending thing it's um there's not like a one moment if you come out and then the world suddenly knows you're gay 
Um, it's um, every time you meet someone new, coming out again, 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 um, which is something that fills me with uh, quite a bit of anxiety. Still now? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, as when I'm about to share something or use the word husband or um, he, you know, even a pronoun about my husband or um, actively tell someone that I'm gay, like I get a um, tsunami of anxiety through my whole body that almost cripples me. Um, and even if that's like a... I don't know, like in a taxi or with someone in a casual exchange that you're never going to see again. And, you know, if it comes up in some kind of conversation, I get absolutely crippled um, for fear of what reaction I'm going to get, which is largely based off one really bad reaction I did get, but mostly I've had really nice reactions. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've really digressed from pride there. Um, No, no, that's okay. It's really interesting. um, I will, I'll circle back to that. But like, so in terms of pride, when I first came out, I was 16. Um, I had known I was gay since I could remember. I can remember being like four or five and thinking, oh, I quite like boys. Um, and um, that being a thing, I don't know that actually in my head it was ever, oh, I'm gay, but it was a, I'm different and there's something different about me. And I knew that for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And then coming out at 16, um, felt like well oh I don't know what did it feel lots and lots of different things and I had to quickly um form my views and opinions on gay life and gay world and pride and gay clubs and this and that just everything I had Mm. to quickly like try and be part of some community that I'd never been exposed to before or been part of before um so it, it I think I hated pride because it didn't feel like a safe thing for me to want to like or be a part of. So when I came out, I wanted to still seem like I was still the same person to, to people so that I'd be, um, so, so I'd feel safe. So, you know, yeah, I'm gay. And actually at first I did tell people, um, I kind of liked girls a bit as well, but more, more boys. Um, and that was also a, a version of trying to, keep safe which is totally unfair to bisexual people and that that happens but that is what happened mm-hmm. um and yeah i guess like, i didn't want to associate myself with something like pride where there were either stereotypical people or people that were wearing rainbow flags or being camp or effeminate or um something that i didn't want to be associated with this thing's going to be shoved in your face and here deal with it yeah. um so i really quickly distance myself from anything like that and say, like, I don't think we should have gay clubs that we should be able to go anywhere. We don't need gay pride. Why should I be proud of who I'm attracted to? It's very much the way I viewed it. Um, and I, and I used to say, well, there's not a straight pride. So why there's a gay pride, you know, and people say that and I like really, yeah. I was gonna say like uneducated, ignorant people will say, no, well, there's not a straight pride, which in senses me now, but, um, at the time, that's very much what I said. I don't know how much I actually believed any of what I was saying when I was 16. Yeah. But it was a, a safety net for me of like, please, please, please still look at me the same way yeah. just because I'm attracted to boys. And actually now I think being gay isn't just me being attracted to the same sex at all. I think there's an awful lot to it and my identity. 
Um, but yeah, so I distanced myself from it and for, and for years, for years and years. Um, and it's not probably until I hit my thirties that I really started to have a think about it and reflect. And, and that includes reflecting on a lot of parts of my life, I think, and my identity, especially. And then what, what pride ended up kind of becoming or, or meaning to me. Um, and like I said, near the beginning, like the, what that word actually means as well. And can I be a person that is proud of myself um, uh, and start to associate with the community? And I don't, I, I really wish I'd engaged with the community much earlier on in my life. I really, really, I think I feel like I missed out on a lot um, because the pride and safety it brings to be part of that community now and like things like chosen family and stuff like that, that, that it brings so much, uh, yeah, warmth and safety. And, um, I spoke to someone recently about this, but like, I remember a few years ago walking through, uh, London and there was a football match on and I walked past loads of bars and they were like, Oh, all these kind of guys cheering about the football and probably just having a really innocently good time, but it really intimidated me and yeah. I like, walked through on my own. And then I arrived at Pride in London and I wasn't going to Pride, but I kind of walked through it and I just started crying walking through it. Um, because it all of a sudden felt part of something and safe and here's like my tribe really. And here are my people and I feel safe and all these people together and I'm not on my own and like there's a lot in there around kind of representation and stuff um yeah look as i guess I'm, as i'm talking out loud I'm, I'm not quite sure where i'm heading with this conversational point no like, no well, that's that's fine i mean you've said you've said loads of really interesting things which i want to ask you more about in that um one thing which you said which i thought was really interesting was that the 16 year old you would say there isn't a straight pride which is a line which we've all heard people say or at least seen people say on twitter and generally that line is used by straight people to justify homophobia. Um, and it's interesting that you were using that line as a gay person, possibly, and tell me if I'm psychoanalyzing you all wrong here, but possibly to justify a kind of internal homophobia that you still had at that time. Do you, was that, is that a fair thing to say, do you think? It's absolutely fair. And um, something that I had and carried for a long, long time, um, internal homophobia. I can still almost like taste or smell like sparks of that sometimes in, in myself and my body. And um, sometimes think, I, don't, I can't think of like an example, but something will happen or I'll hear something and, and that will kind of flame really quickly in my body, that internal homophobia. It doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost quite like an instinctive thing that just happens. But it's so absolutely fair to say that, yeah. Um, and um, I didn't want to associate myself with gay people or, or have any gay friends. Um, I just wanted to carry on being me who had friends and who people liked and was yeah. terrified that people were not going to like me anymore. And not only actually not like me, I was always terrified, which is still what I think my anxiety is when I'm coming out. I was terrified that someone would beat me up or kill me. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, that's so interesting. It, it's just making me think. Um, I mean, so when I was 16, I was dealing with, well, no, I wasn't dealing with, but I, I, I was homophobic as a 16 year old. And that's because I was brought up in a culture, a religious culture that told me that, um, 
for two men to love each other is a sin that there's something kind of inherently wrong with it and i so i especially at that age actually at 16 it was probably the peak of that for me i surrounded myself with a christian echo bubble where we just um confirmed our ideas not just about uh same-sex love but about you know creationism about the afterlife all of this kind of thing that we had this kind of echo chamber where we in in potentially quite a self-congratulatory way, we were the chosen ones, we were God's children, that kind of thing, and everybody else on the outside was wrong or lost or damned or whatever language we want to put on it. Um, and that, for th- growing up in that context, like I say, probably reaching its peak towards the tail end of my teenage years, um, meant that I had views and uh, kind of emotional reactions to gay lesbian people you know i wasn't even thinking about transgender people and you know the whole lgbtq spectrum at the time but let's say just to begin with gay and lesbian people which were quite well which were absolutely kind of homophobic um and it's interesting obviously that so i've been on a journey with that and i am I was like, I want to say I'm not homophobic anymore, but a part of me also kind of feels like, well, that's not for me to say. I can't say if I'm homophobic or not. Somebody, somebody, you know, it's other people's experience, which defines whether that's the case with me or not. But let's say, let's put it this way. I'm trying very hard not to be. And where I do see those knee jerk tendencies within myself, I try to to work with them. Anyway, I'm waffling away. What I wanted to get at was for me that homophobia I can trace where it came from. I can say it's beginning to go to this church. Partly it's a cultural thing. Like, you know, just the, w- when I was at school, being gay wasn't as accepted as, as it is now, but that was just really reinforced by the religious kind of language. And the question is, why, where did that come from with you? Because um, I, I don't, you didn't, did you grow up with religion or did it come from somewhere else? Um, so much to unpack. Um, so <laughs> like, Thank you for sharing with me, though, that like what you just shared about uh, you being homophobic at that age and and like your journey with that. I think it's probably I don't know how you feel about this. Not an easy thing to say. I would have thought. Um, and I am interested in your phrase of like I, I try my best not to be or I try hard not to be homophobic. Now I'm really I'd be keen to unpack that a bit, um, but. I'll we can do maybe that. come back. But you go maybe, first. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, so I didn't grow up. Um, I didn't grow up. I should just finish the sentence. There, <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, there, there wasn't a strong presence of like religion in our family, or um, not explicitly anyway. Um, but I didn't. I didn't grow up in a very warm, accepting environment or safe environment. Um, So not feeling safe was quite an early experience. Um, So, but then in terms of internal homophobia and where that, that kind of comes from, I think religion does have a part to play as, as much as it wasn't an explicit part of like my, my life and certainly have had lots and lots of, um, messages from different people over years about well 
I guess like hijacking religion as a reason to, to, to direct homophobia at, at me or at the community. Um, but there's like some quite existential stuff though as well in there. You know, when you are, even in, in school, I couldn't go to a religious school or anything, but like we had religious education, we had RE and we'd be taught about the creationists, like being Adam and Eve being created um, there's another thing I'd have got. Is Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You know, that's yeah, the line yeah. people would say. Um, so we exist because God created man and woman and man and woman procreate and have, uh, and that's the, so that's like a party line, I guess, that I would have heard a lot. And in terms of like what that means internally for me, it would have been, okay, so existence, people exist because of God. If God thinks people should just be straight that's what he created and that's what people will say so if god thinks them being gay is a sin because that's might might be what's implied from that then my existence is fundamentally wrong mm. um and um should be expunged or questioned or vanished or disappeared or there's something wrong something inherently wrong with me um and we'll hear phrases like traditional values quite a lot traditional values and yeah um and that very much is rooted in religion you know that that very much i, I think anyway um you know and the other as well as the adam and eve stuff kind of other quotes i would have got from people are things like about don't you know laying with another man um and uh yeah I don't know. And all the things you hear are normally always about gay men and sex, really. Yeah. Um, it's not about identity or who you are, or it's about sodomy or, you know, gay, the act of gay sex. Um, there's a lot it's of true. focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. That's something, sorry to cut across you, but yeah, yeah. reflecting on um, when I was growing up, especially when I was in that Christian bubble, absolutely, it was the image of two men which we were taught to find so offensive. And actually the image of two women didn't have the same visceral reaction. Um, and I'm not hundred percent sure why that is. Maybe does it come from the biblical language, which is quite patriarchal, you know, it talks about a man sleeping with another man, you know, that kind of thing. Um, does it come from something somewhere else? I don't really know, but it, you're absolutely right that for, I feel like if a lesbian woman had come into the church, people would have been, you know, logically, you know, we believe that this is a sin, but it wouldn't have had the same visceral kind of reaction, I think, as a gay man. And I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's a universal thing, but that's certainly true I, of, of my experience. No, I think it is. And I think there's something in there about, so I remember growing up to headlines and newspaper articles and things on TV about homosexuality being equated with paedophilia and yeah. they're going to do something to us. They're going to yeah. get us and they're going to get our kids and they're going to turn people. And so I think it's not like doing something to people. Um, and we, I mean, the elephant in the room there is we're talking about penetration. You know, that's, that's like you're doing something to somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, I'm not sure how much to say about this, um, but like my, so I've had a experience, an experience, sorry, at um, a workplace where somebody told me they hoped that their son wouldn't be gay because the idea of their son being penetrated disgusts them. 
Wow. Wow. That's, so, that's huge. That's such a massive, like, yeah, where I've is that like, coming from? I've got like really horrible goosebumps even saying that out loud. Like it's, yeah. um, it's, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible. There was a lot more to it than that, but like there was, there was a horrible, horrible exchange. And, yeah. and that was from a professional male, um, in a working environment, you know, it's, um, yeah. So I think it's that kind of having something done. I think that's why it's gay men and not lesbian women that, that kind of, and I don't want to kind of invalidate any lesbian women's experiences of homophobia of either in that, but you know, I just, that's, that's my, my experience. So, um, yeah, that internal homophobia, I think it just comes, there's a lot in, in there in that kind of, should I exist? Is there something wrong to me? And you don't see, well, I certainly didn't see growing up like queer representation. I didn't see me anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no representation of me. So, um, again, oh, there must be something wrong with me then if I'm not anywhere. And representation isn't something, generally speaking, that straight people have to think about even because you just see it. It's, it's just everywhere, you know. Yeah. There's a relationship and, and that's the way it is. And as soon as you see a gay relationship in something, it's it's a it's a big deal. And it's like, oh, there's this is something different. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and like that's getting better but it's still i remember i don't know if it was the last christmas or the one before but i think there was an advert where there was some like gay couples on it and it got like an outrageous reaction from people of like yeah it's just and it's, oh yeah so i think the, i'm going like uh, like uh, the representation thing is really important i think as a straight white um christian guy i have never had to think about representation because mm. I'm seen as like almost the default. Do you know what I mean? So there are people mm. like me all over television as if we represent 99% of humanity. Uh, you know, that, that's, so I've never really had to think about it. And it's really interesting that in the past few years, there's been, say like with Disney movies and Marvel movies, there have been little, I must say not very bold, but, hints and nods towards representation so there's the thing mm. in Endgame mm. with the like there's like the, <laughs> the the guy who talks about his husband who he misses and that kind of stuff and with all of those there's like i mean i spend more time than i care to admit on reddit and there's always this kind of fan reaction on reddit of like oh yeah isn't it brilliant and marvel have finally got gay people in their movies or whatever and it always kind of feels like i mean it that little step is a little step in the right direction but the reaction highlights how huge an issue it is the fact that this tiny little really nothingness of a hint solicits this kind of like brilliant isn't it great gay people are finally being represented oh it's 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 been honest man it's like i was talking to someone about this yesterday like just about queer representation and saying i'll tell you what queer representation is not and it is not writing seven harry potter books and then saying dumbledore was gay by the way yeah and it, it is not two women having a hug in the background of star wars and yes. yeah it, it's not those things that is not representation that is it, i mean it's the mildest form of tokenism there can be um yeah. but it, it's not uh, yeah maybe it's progress in small steps but it's fucking insulting like it's yeah. it's we can we can bear to tolerate a hug in the background of a a huge movie um yeah it's man it's it's very um, safe it's uh 
that yeah it's not really challenging um no yeah, because like you can a, have it both ways by doing that you can yeah, say yeah. use both camps of people yeah you can say no read the harry potter books there's no gayness in them and then you can appease the other you know my lot um yeah. by saying, like no dumbledore was gay look um well which is it well, I would just like to say, as somebody who grew up in the conservative evangelical church, we always we hated Harry Potter before there were gay characters in it because it had witchcraft in it. So we hated it before it was cool to hate it. And not even in a homophobic way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. When all that stuff happened, we were like, told you, told you there was something wrong with them. <laughs> um, yeah, the, um, I guess just like circling back a little bit to uh, where religion might fit into some to that again like i guess that word sin you know where's where the word sin the the program that we, was on this year it's a sin which was remarkable and i absolutely loved it but like why is it called it's a sin like it's um what what's the sin there and it's that going back to it's sodomy and it's it's gay males having sex is is what it mm-hmm. kind of comes down to and um look i'm not saying there are, there are no gay people who are religious because they, they clearly are um, yeah. and might embrace you know, both kind of parts of themselves and identity. But um, I just, I always thought like, why would I invest my in, in any kind of religion when religion wants me kind of wiped out was my experience. I, I completely understand that. And it's a really, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, obviously there are people who are gay and religious. I, I know some of them. Um, some of them are my friends. Some of them are my family. Um, and it's it's a complicated thing. And it's it's something that I don't feel massively qualified to talk about somebody else's experience. So I'm not going to talk too much about their experience. But um, I what I do know is that it's usually complicated and that there's even in the liberal end of religion, which is the place where I found myself for the past kind of 15 years or so, even there, there is institutional homophobia. It's, it's, it's on, they, they might not be explicitly hateful. They, they don't necessarily even believe that there's anything wrong with it, but the institutional homophobia stuff is almost impossible to get away from. Um, even in the kind of nice, we welcome everybody kind of churches. Um, and I guess it's hard for me as a Christian because I think what I believe in my core about my faith is that it's a message of love and compassion and equality and justice for all, for everyone, um, ir- you know, irrespective of gender, sexuality, skin color, whatever. Um, and that's what I see when I read the Gospels. And the story of Jesus, that's my experience of it. And Jesus never has anything to say about same-sex relationships. Um, so there's that. But then there's the institution which has grown over the past 2,000 years. And it's something we talk about often on the podcast, just about the different ways in which the institution, in, in growing like that, has moved further and further away from the point, from the core truth. Um, yeah. And wherever Christianity, I'll just talk about Christianity rather than other religions because I'm not qualified to talk about other religions, but wherever Christianity is used to alienate or exclude or create division, in my mind, we've missed the point that this you're doing the exact opposite 
of what our guy told us to do. You know, that that's so anyway, uh, where I'm going with that is, I guess what I'm saying is if I were gay, I would really struggle with the kind of what I believe about the core of my faith compared to my experience of the religion and the, the institution, um, which like I say, on the one extreme is actively hateful, you know, the Westboro Baptist extreme. And then on the other extreme is kind of, it's kind of nice, but in a way that's still others, that still alienates, that still separates, um, and is still homophobic. That element, that kind of, yes, still homophobic, but like quieter homophobia, um, feels like they'd still have placards, but they'd write it in invisible ink, um, that, you're not welcome here. I'm just trying to own this experience as my own like now, but like uh, religion feels to me like a really scary place and a really scary thing to be feared. Mm. And um, I am in danger of being, well, I said wiped out, didn't I? A little while ago, wiped out or hurt or something. Um, yeah. By and that's such a such a huge sweeping statement just to say like religion in that way because like obviously that encompasses so many different things and people and ideas and thoughts and beliefs. Um, but that at the core of how I feel is what I feel. Um, yeah. um, based on like my experiences, my worst version of coming out when I like my was, was my dad and. Um, Um, so sorry I'm kind of I I find myself um, getting into a really clunky clumsy place when I start talking about this because I I guess a bit scared and emotional and um, so yeah look when I when I came out to my dad um, I got a number of messages um about it being wrong. Uh, I was something to be disappointed in and not to tell my family and don't tell the rest of the family because we have Christian values. Mm. Um, specifically my grandparents. Um, so don't, don't tell people, um, don't tell people your disappointment. Don't get AIDS. Wow. Um, uh, well, that's another thing, though. Like AIDS, like all oh, this. Um, God, I feel like I'm like, attacking religion here, Tim. But like, um, attack, attack away. That's fine. <laughs> well, it's not though. Is it? It's people hijacking it again. Like I said, you know, people saying like AIDS is like a cure from God um, to yeah. wipe out the gay community. Um, and that, you know, growing up, what? So how old would I? I'd been like seven or eight, and they would have been the headlines on newspapers, yeah. like knowing I'm different, knowing this thing about myself and then you see oh this disease that is killing people is is from god and it's going to cure um or or wipe us out basically not cure but like um and and then all the other things around that legislation like it would i couldn't have come out any earlier than 16 because it was illegal for anyone at school to be able to talk about being gay you know section 28 you just it was illegal Mm um couldn't have had any conversations um all those kind of traditional values again. Um, and 
I don't know. There's so, there's, there's so many of just bits and, and things to it. And even like, I was talking to my husband yesterday about giving blood and like, finally, like gay men are now allowed to give blood if they're in yeah. relationship. That's, that's like, we're in 2021. Yeah. And that's now a thing like, okay, so what was wrong with my blood before? What, yeah. did it just mean sin? Is that, mm. is that what is wrong with my blood? Um, it's. What, I mean, educate me a little bit. What was the, given reason because presumably it wasn't that your blood is sinful Hmm. when it came from the nhs what was the like was there a given reason yeah Uh, yeah i mean it's bullshit but yeah it's um i mean it's not bullshit in a way but it is there's the the gay men involved in sexual relationships are more likely to have hiv essentially yeah yeah um like they wouldn't be testing their blood they're giving to people um mm-hmm. anyway um yeah so yeah th- there's that um uh, and then it's changed over the years you know but um to well you can give blood if you haven't had sex in the last six months um okay um, and so things are like it's just it's progressed gradually um but it's it's just another message of you're wrong there's something wrong with you even your blood is wrong yeah yeah, you know, you your identity's wrong, your blood's wrong, what you want to do is wrong, sex is wrong, what you like is wrong, what you want to wear is wrong, the music you want to listen to is wrong. You're not going to yeah. see yourself in any films or on TV. Um, your identity, my identity, was wiped out before I could even understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a hard place to crawl out of it's it's an awful place and i like i say i can't imagine i can't imagine it as a like i say as a straight white christian guy my identity has never been an issue for anybody um uh i i've never experienced that um so i guess like i mean to be clear I'm not going to try to come to religion's defense on this <laughs> um, because <laughs> the, there, there isn't one um, like yeah. I, I, that would be, that would be trite to do. Um, I think what would be more interesting and more important would be to ask you how you've got to where you are now and how you, how you have moved past those horrible toxic messages that you grew up yeah. with. I mean, I assume you still probably carry some of them with you, yeah. but where do you where do you find peace with your identity with who you are how do you find peace with it um and and love yourself um yeah um yeah thanks for that question um that that's a beautiful question by the way um <laughs> uh, it's quite a hard one to answer as well mm. um because i don't think there's a simple answer to it i don't think there's a like a, a a one moment of something is that there's a, it's a process, the whole, whole life that, you know, that whole, so I was 16 when I came out. So 26, but so yeah, like over 20 years, 22 years ago. Um, and, uh, over that time, um, starting to find things that I was, I was proud of, um, and from for a long time that came from like career and work um and always needing to progress and i progressed really quickly actually in my career um 
Um, and I am proud of that. I have no interest anymore in progressing in my career, particularly like I'm, it's not something that, um, yeah, anyway, that, so that, that for a long time is where I pinned like achievement and something to be proud of, but it was, that's not about my identity. It's a part of what I do and I, I do love what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding some kind of, yeah, like peace or acceptance and more than acceptance. And, you know, you said like loving myself and yeah, I've been able to kind of get to that place. Some of it's about, so I'm in therapy every week. I've been through incredibly dark mental health times and places uh and emotional health and um my darkest place being about two years ago um so and in terms of being genuinely proud of who i am and my identity um and loving myself is coming the last two years um when uh crawling out of the darkest place i've ever found myself in um because um like there was a potential I wouldn't come out of that place alive. And, mm-hmm. um, and I did. And not only that, then being able to find like thriving in life and joy and joy in daily life and my relationships and the, the, the people that I choose to have in my life that accept me for who I am and love me for who I am. And that, that includes myself, you know, like loving me for who I am and knowing who I'm not was really important to discover for mm-hmm. me um and who i don't want to be um i mean without kind of giving it away i mentioned quite an important family member earlier and someone who i don't want to be mm-hmm. um and that was quite an important discovery for me um and um yeah what other things i'm i'm proud about and yeah it used to come from work and now it's about um being able to love people love myself be compassionate be kind um, love my dog, love my husband, um, love our time together, um, love meeting new people, um, and you being a part of that, Tim. Like I, like, and we have not known each other for very long, um, yeah. but meeting you has been an absolute joy, um, and I get a lot of joy out of interacting with you um, uh, and other people in my life. So um, that's very mutual, I should say, just for the record. Thanks, Tim. Um, I wasn't like fishing for that. No, I know you weren't. I know you weren't, but I did want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, um, so therapy's helped a lot, actually. Um, my therapy, who I call my brain wizard, um, is amazing. And um, but outside of that, um, yeah, I. I keep saying about my husband but my husband greg and um I, I wouldn't have been able to i wouldn't be here without him um we've been together um 21 years next month mm. um and again something i was saying to someone yesterday um not to kind of turn it back around to kind of negative stuff but like you do get this message sometimes like, how long you've been together and i'll say how long we've been together and sometimes people say Oh, in, in gay years, that must be like a hundred years. Or something. Like, <laughs> what? What's a gay year? Like, yeah, yeah, like your dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what? And and I think that comes from a. Well, how could you be in a loyal, monogamous relationship if you're gay? Like, presumably, you're promiscuous and uh, mm. wouldn't be with someone for that long. And so they're like, yeah, and. I guess to spin that background, it's learning to um, to not. I still hear those messages, and I still get sparks of 
things I've internalized, but I know what's mine and what isn't now. Yeah. And like the shame I felt for so many years is not mine. It's, it's was given to me and, um, mm-hmm. and I'm still in a process of giving that back, but, um, it's not, I know what is mine and what isn't mine. I know where stuff does and doesn't belong. And those messages might come up, but it's not about me. That's not my, that's not my shit. Yeah. Um, that is your sorry shit over there. Not yours, Tim. I'm kind of pointing it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was part, I've been part of the sorry shit. So that's, that's fair. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting. Your, the answer that you've just given to that question actually really highlights the importance of pride um, and yeah. that whole thing because everything that you've said has been about people and about relationships. And I think there's like this popular script, which you see on like motivational Instagram posts and places like that, where people say, you know, just be yourself and who cares what anybody else thinks and that kind of <laughs> stuff, just like swim against the tide and that kind of thing, which I think is bullshit. And I think it's like bullshit of the highest order because <laughs> I like I, my deep belief. And I think the evidence supports this is that our identity is created in community. Um, yeah. And that's a, that can be a tragedy if the only community you have ever known is an abusive community or a community that tells you that you are not valid, it becomes almost impossible to discover self-love and to discover a sense of worth and that kind of thing, because you're the people around you are responsible for creating you. And what you've just described, I think is going on a journey from being surrounded by people who told you that you weren't good enough, that you were broken or damaged or whatever, and to have it created a new community now, which includes your husband and, you know, your chosen family and the other people who you've mentioned who validate you and support you and tell you that you are worthwhile. Um, and like I say, that whole thing of just be yourself as if yourself is something that exists in isolation that you can like cherry pick and say, like, hold it in your hand and say, this is me, I think is really rubbish because the reality is who I am is shaped by the people around me. Um, and so with the pride thing, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I have had that same thoughts that you talked about, about like, why is it that just because of who you fancy or what gender you fancy, you have to join up to this community, which has all sorts of stereotypes and like a subculture and that kind of stuff. Like maybe you don't like musical theater. Clearly you do. Cause I'm talking to you and you've got posters <laughs> wall to wall of musical theater. behind me. Yeah. 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 But, but ultimately that's not what it's about. It's about, it's about immersing yourself in a community that tell you that you're okay. Um, and learning yeah. to believe that through community rather than trying to muster up that belief by yourself which I think is almost impossible. But embracing those. So the musical theater thing is an interesting thing, like embracing that um, as something I love. I was going to say it's quite recent. It's not like I've always loved musical theater, but like being able to talk about it and say to people, I love it. And there's, there's a number of aspects of that relating to sexual identity that, um, that yeah, aren't about sex and the person that you are attracted to. Like for me being gay, yes, I've got a husband, but also I love musical theatre and I like sometimes I'll go into shops and get some clothes from the women's section because I'll prefer women's whatever that means a woman's cardigan but like from that section of the shop and mm-hmm. I um love the Spice Girls very much and I love a lot of like 
uh, cheesy nineties pop music, whilst also liking other things. And the, the, yeah. you know, there's so many elements to like who I am that form part of that, and they're all part of me being gay. They're not. That's the being gay bit isn't just who I'm attracted to. It's it's all of that, and being able to embrace all of that and and be proud of it and and love it and enjoy it and um. Yeah, I do. I'm looking at some of my musical theatre posters in the uh, camera now, just behind me, just because they gave me <laughs> so much joy. And again, representation in musical theatre for me as well, and um, seeing whether it's a character in a musical, seeing yourself, but also a lot of the performers as well. And you know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a area of life where you do see a lot of representation. Um, and um, sometimes you don't. Yeah, we often talk about representation in terms of films and pop culture, but often, like we don't often talk about it in terms of your everyday life and who serves you at the shop or the pub or people in your workplace. And yeah, um, do you see yourself everywhere um, or, or not? Um, yeah, I was I was actively banned from coming out at one workplace. Um, really? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wish I worked there now because I'd handle it very differently now than I did then. Um, yeah. This wasn't that long ago, actually. It was um, before I'm in the job I'm in now. But, um, yeah, that I worked with a lot of young people who were talking about sexuality and gender, and they, a lot of them were saying, like, if only we knew, like, an adult who was gay and, like, that we could talk to. And um, and I spoke to my manager and said, like, uh, you know, I just, I'd really like to come out. Not that I needed to even do that, but, like, I'd really like to to come out and just be like authentic about who I am. No, you need to be a blank canvas for these young people, but not if you're straight and married, you don't yeah. need to be a canvas that yeah. you're allowed to come out as straight and being in a married relationship or have a girlfriend. But if you're gay, you have to be a blank canvas. Well, that, that, that relates exactly to what I was saying about representation earlier on, which is I think people see straight cisgender white male as that is the blank canvas that's the default that's the like that that's treated as kind of like what does the basic human being look like like me basically um and then okay we can let's add a sexuality layer to this or let's add an ethnicity layer to this or a gender layer to this or whatever else it is the way in which those things are talked about is they're like, these are little quirks that have changed the blank canvas, but the blank canvas is straight white male, maybe even Christian. I don't know. Um, let's say agnostic yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. Probably. And it's really messed up. Well, yeah, I think that's what I was being told, not be a blank canvas, but be a straight white male. Yeah. That's what the kids need you to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what you. That's what you need me to be. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Mister Straight exactly. White. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I so before this job, I was working in uh, for for doing youth work in East London, um, and I am like I spent three years in private school. I've been to university three times. My parents are quite posh, um, and I talk in a way that's probably on the posh end of the spectrum put it that way um and what i really quickly learned working in east london with young people was that the worst thing i could do is be anything other than who i am you know to try to downplay my identity would have really actually damaged my relationship with them even though my identity with a lot of them was very different to their upbringing you know a lot of those kids were brought up in without as much money as i grew up in 
um, you know, from ethnic minority backgrounds, whatever it is, just have very different stories to tell than mine. But for me to try to be like them would have felt so disingenuous and they would have seen straight through it. Um, and I think that's the same as someone telling you that you need to behave like a straight man because that isn't who you are. And for you to hide who you are will have damaged your relationship with the young people rather than helped it. I think even if, you know, even if the young people couldn't relate at all to your experience, but just you being you is more important than you being like them. Yeah, the reality of what that did was they noticed that I was different because I wouldn't say I was married. They knew I was in a relationship, but I, I can't tell you what that is. So then you just become this different yeah. thing that's hiding something. Yeah. So I never lied, never lied to them. And I said that, like, I'm never going to lie. Yeah. But I will, like, find a way of not saying the thing you can't, you're not letting me say. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it was it was bad, 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 bad. Um, and like I said, I'd, I'd handle that very differently now yeah but trying to sit in like a different skin that's not yours it's um yeah actively can be quite damaging to everyone yeah it's um yeah do you you want to um uh, consciously said something earlier on that we said we'd cycle back to you were interested by me saying i try not to be homophobic um what 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 did you find interesting about that it's really interesting phrase or sentence or like I try hard not to be homophobic mm. um I guess what I'm I'm curious about is what are you actively trying not to do and yeah. is that a behavior or is that a I'm trying not to have a belief or a thought or a feeling that I'm having mm. and yeah what does trying hard not to be homophobic feel and look like I'm really curious I think so. It's a thing that I have struggled to express, not just in terms of um, uh, homophobia, but in terms of any kind of identity kind of thing. Any anything like I would really struggle to call myself an ally, even though that's what I want to be. I want to be an ally, but for me to say I'm an ally, I feel like it's not for me to say whether I'm an ally or not, because maybe I'm not. Maybe there's all sorts of subconscious ways in which homophobia is manifesting itself in the things that I say or do, which I'm not even aware of. And mm. so it's not, when I say I'm trying not to be homophobic, it's not that, so to be clear, I have no issue. I have no, like, there isn't any part of me left that thinks that there's something sinful or wrong about being gay. Um that I'm completely relaxed. Like I, I can say that with confidence that I do not hold the same homophobic beliefs that I did when I was 16. Um, but am I free from prejudice? No, of course I'm not. And I don't think you are. And I don't think anybody is. Um, and I think there's something like when you've got, um, uh, what's his name? Nick Clegg wearing a t-shirt that says, this is what a feminist looks like. I want to say, have you really thought about that? Have you looked back over your whole life? Can you be really confident that you have been an ally to the feminist movement in your politics, in your public proclamations, in the things that you've expressed subconsciously without even realizing that you're expressing them? It feels too easy. It feels too easy for uh, an affluent successful 
white man to say, I'm a feminist, by the way. And that's kind of what I mean when I say, like, I'm trying to not be homophobic because I, I don't think it is for me to say whether I am homophobic or not. What I can say is I don't believe that there's anything wrong with being gay. And where I do have subconscious prejudices that emerge, which does happen from time to time, I do my best to not believe them and to think and to educate myself and to learn and to move past them. And I've had to go on a journey, for example, more recently with um, conversations about kind of transgender issues that there there was prejudice in me around that. Um, And I have spent some time trying to educate myself, trying to listen to transgender voices, spending time where I can, whether that's digitally on YouTube or whatever, or in person with people who've experienced being transgender so that I can learn it so that I can combat my prejudices rather than simply accepting and believing them. Um, So that to me though, just feels more like I'm trying to understand, learn, educate. I'm trying to like understand more and integrate that into my like belief system. Then I'm trying hard not to, to be something. Um, It sounds like I'm trying more to be something than not be something. Yeah, I'd be. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. I think that's probably what I'm trying to do, and maybe that didn't come across in what I said. But it's just like I said. I just think there's something a little bit too easy about somebody who's never struggled with identity issues mm. to publicly proclaim, "I'm an ally and above reproach" when it comes to this. Okay. Um, yeah. And I want to be careful about that because I. I think that probably doesn't help the conversation because it paints everybody as extremes. You're either a fascist or you're a saint. Do you know what I mean? Like, and there is no middle ground. And I don't think I'm either of those things. I think I, I am. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Good. good. Um, So I guess I'm trying to move towards the saint end of the spectrum in terms of equality and diversity and not, you know, and prejudice, I guess. Um, Mm. but for me to pretend that I don't have a little fascist within me, um, (laughs) doesn't really help because it just means other people end up repressing their own thoughts and no one ends up getting educated. It just creates two extremes, you know, no one learns. You so quickly conjured up a a, a beautiful image of a little Tim fascist inside you and just, um, (laughs) yeah, that's right. I don't know what he looks like, but, uh, Every now and again, he raises yeah. his head. Um, <laughs> There's my little fascist. Um, yeah, I'm trying hard not to be him. Yeah, it's... yeah. And actually, I, I mean, we joke, but that's quite a good way, I think, of thinking about that. When yeah. when voices of prejudice emerge within us, yeah. to be able to, with a bit of affection, to say, that's my little fascist, is actually <laughs> probably not all that unhealthy compared to denying that that voice exists. You know, I think that that's much yeah. more harmful. The, the more you've spoken about that, the more I can kind of, it resonates a bit, I think, just in terms of my uh, like kind of latent or whatever, like internal homophobia, like that can still spark up. And it's not like I try not to be it, but I quickly become like aware of, of it, what it is, where it belongs, who it belongs to. Um, and yeah, I have to do like a bit of uh, mental and emotional gymnastics to kind of navigate my way around that and uh, yeah. and understand it um and i think that's 
kind of what you're saying, like that kind of, oh, I've noticed this thought or this feeling or this belief that I either used to have or is, I've been reminded of or I've got a bit of now. It's not, that's not me now. It's not who I want to be. So I'm going to educate myself about this other thing. Exactly, exactly. And and coupled with that is the thing that there are ways in which I am not even aware of those prejudices in myself. And it's possible and I hope and pray that this isn't the case, but it is possible that at some point in my life, someone will have experienced me as being homophobic or sexist or racist. And never in a way, I can say with confidence, never in a way that I'm being aggressive, attacking, you know, whatever. Um, but that a turn of phrase that I used, which I wasn't educated about, you know, yeah. was experienced in a way that was hurtful by somebody um, or a question which I asked, you know, I mean, the, the, yeah. the obvious things are, you know, it's become a kind of a, a thing that people talk about when black people experience white people's fascination with their hair, you know, yeah. and those white people aren't thinking of themselves as racist, but actually the experience of a white person being fascinated with your hair feels like it's a, it's a race fueled separating <laughs> divisive thing. And yeah. I, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm completely innocent of any of that. that. Do you know what I, I mean? No, it sounds like you, yeah, you put a lot into that. I was just thinking of that kind of, yeah, the fascination with the hair thing. Like there's, there's an almost like gay equivalent of that where people might ask you like, so who's the top and who's the bottom? Who's the woman? Mm. Who's the man? And you're just like, how, how can you ask me that? Like how, like, I'm not going to ask you about your like sex life with your, Uh, do you know what I mean like and um like the we're in a same-sex relationship no one's the woman like we are two men in a relationship um yeah yeah it's fascinating the stuff that kind of happens around that thank you for sharing all that like that's um yeah you know it's helpful because like the thing you'd initially said about um I try hard not to be homophobic I I'm not sure that's what you mean I, I can hear what you're saying. It it sounds like I'm saying that there's a part of me that wants to persecute gay people and that I'm trying my best to put the reins on it. That isn't what I meant, to be clear. <laughs> That's not it. Actually, when you were just talking about that, I thought of an example. Um, uh, I guess maybe a couple of years ago, I was talking to somebody who is transgender, uh, was was born into a male body, but is moving towards that's becoming a female body. And again, I'm cautious of the language that I'm using here and aware that some of it might be slightly wrong. And I was trying in our conversation to show that I'm supportive and that I care and that I'm interested and I'm not here to say you're right or wrong or whatever. And in our conversation, I asked like, do you think like, will you have the surgery? Will you, will you kind of, will you do that? And that person's response was, I I actually wish you didn't ask me that because it others me, it separates me. Um, and it's a bit like me asking you about your sex life or what's going on under your pants or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's not an okay question. Um, and this is where the kind of trying hard thing comes in that my response to that was, ah, fuck, I didn't know that that's a really good point. And I've learned my lesson and I won't ask a transgender person that again. But for me to then go on a podcast and say, I am a transgender ally 
to that person could have felt quite distasteful because they'd be like, right. actually, I've experienced this with Tim and what he asked wasn't okay. Um, even though I, and, you know, we're all cool now. It's all good. Like that, that situation was dealt with very rapidly and we're friends and, yeah. you know, it was a learning moment. Um, I, I can that's understand that thing. I just, yeah, I, I can understand and empathize with some of that as well. And I, I just, I don't know, maybe some words, some more exploration of what like an ally is really, I guess, because, um, for me, like I'll still stumble over language uh, around different things. Maybe it's, uh, trans language or or um language about race or even religion as well like i don't know like i don't know all of the language that i should be using all of the time mm. with different people and different people have different experiences of different language and um i think it's better to have the conversation in a potentially clumsy way and learn than not yeah. have the conversation i agree um so yeah I, I i i can stumble over language a bit when i'm when i'm not quite confident on the on, on what I should or shouldn't be saying. Because I was going to ask you earlier like, what you think about the word queer. Because, um, again, like it's, it's a word that for a long, long time was uh, not to be used by anybody. And uh, yeah. like our communities reclaimed that word. And um, I guess I'm intrigued from a, uh, a, sh- a sh- white straight man, as we've said a number of times, like what, what your perspective on that? Or would you ever use that word? So it's a word as a rule that I I wouldn't be offended by you using it or anybody, you know, from like the whole LGBTQ spectrum using it. But it's it's almost like the N-word in the sense that I kind of feel like that's a word that was used to oppress. Um, and for me to use it would would be oppressive. Um, even if I didn't mean it to be oppressive, but for you to use it is fine. That said, there is, you know, my, as you know, my kind of area of study is theology um, and philosophy and that kind of stuff. And there's a whole subsection of, you know, there's queer theology and queer yeah, philosophy, yeah. Um, which is amazing. And like, you know, the the language there is really powerful and it's a really creative uh way of exploring religion and belief in God and that kind of stuff in a way which doesn't just accept homophobia as uh, homosexuality, sorry, as a kind of like, well, it's here, so we might as well accept it. But like, this is who God created me to be. And this is God's gift to humanity is, is the LGBTQ plus spectrum, you know, that this is not just an, a blip, but an amazing thing to be celebrated and grateful for. Um, and so in that, you know, in my doctorate, there's probably, I probably used the word queer a couple of times in reference to queer theology, but just because that's what it's called. Like, I don't know. I I guess I could call it Q word theology, but that just hasn't, uh, that hasn't really happened. So yeah, Yeah. that's a long way of saying mixed feelings. (laughs) I wouldn't use it in any other context apart from as a label to define a kind of philosophical movement. Yeah, um, okay. you're not going to like do the intro to the podcast and say, we've got uh, this queer person on Dan. Um, No, I'm going to do that. No, 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 no. I'll use much more offensive language than that. <laughs> <laughs> that reclaiming the word's really interesting, though, isn't it? Because, like, 
even when I was saying about like being different and wrong earlier, that's what queer kind of came from. Like it's, it's, it's weird yeah. and strange and different. And then like to be able to reclaim that and have it mean something completely different feels like quite a, a freeing and powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah, definitely. And history is full of that. I think of like mm. persecute actually even this, this feels almost tasteless to say, but it's the truth. Christian, that word originally was a you know went before Christianity became the dominant world religion when we were just a little tiny huddled group of anxious people not really sure where we belonged in the world yeah. we were called Christians by people in a derisive way it means kind of like little baby Christs like little Jesus boys like and it's a it's a word that we took on and now defines this huge massive powerful all-consuming thing um but initially it was a persecuted group of people using a word that had been like reclaiming it um, i didn't know that i didn't and, know that well and it happens everywhere right like with whether it's race or uh you know like slut walks you know that yeah. whole thing um just using a word that has been used to hurt people to kind of to own it and to take power from it it's happened yeah. throughout history. It's really, I think it's really cool. It's really powerful. It's interesting the word when you say the word Christian, because it's always used to be like, what's your Christian name? What's your Christian name? Yeah. Uh, rather than like first name, whatever. But when you say the word Christian, I don't initially think religion or Christianity. I think of character from Moulin Rouge. That's, that's, what, I, that's what comes to my head when I hear the word Christian. Is it now? So I'm not uh, as well versed in musical theatre as you are. Is it a character that is a good character or a bad character? He's the main character. So you and McGregor in the movie. Oh, amazing! Cool. Well, yeah. Carry on associating it with that, then. <laughs> that works for everyone. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I've kept you for more than the hour I said I would keep you for. So, um, yeah, just to say, I mean, thanks so much for talking in such an honest and real way. Um, it, it's I found it really powerful listening to you, um, and I'm sure that the people who are listening will we'll have the same experience so thanks for making the time and for being such a good podcast guest and such a good friend i'm grateful yeah, um, to have you in my life thank you so you're very welcome and thanks for i guess like creating a safe space where i've been able to just talk honestly and share that so thank you and right back at you thank you i'm back uh, still in the same little bit of land, but walking counterclockwise rather than clockwise around the circle this time. Um, so wasn't that great? Um, isn't Dan great? Um, I, I, like I say, I just think it's such a great, powerful, important conversation. Um, Dan has taught me a lot, uh, not just through this conversation, but through his friendship in this past year. I've learned a lot about him and about myself through our friendship and I'm enormously grateful for him and even though leaving my current job to go off and start my new one is something I'm excited about and have no doubt about in terms of it being the right decision for me there is some sadness there because I won't get to speak to Dan quite as often as I do now um, and I'll, I'll miss that um, so Dan if you've watched this and you're still here Thanks for everything, man. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for your support. And thanks for this, for this podcast. Um, and I'm really looking forward to finding some time to coming and seeing you in Nottingham uh, when we can do that.
which will be soon. Uh, cool, all right, that's about it. Um, oh, last month, in this little end bit, I told you that I was working on uh, a, a bigger name to come and be a guest on the podcast. Um, that's still in the pipelines. Um, the person who I'm speaking to, uh, who has you know, a pretty significant following, um, and I'm really excited about getting them on, if it works out. They're busy moving at the moment, so their life is stressful enough without me badgering them for dates and that kind of stuff. But we've been emailing back and forth, and I'm hoping we can get that recorded maybe next month uh, in time for the August episode of the podcast. Um, But if not, we'll keep working on it. And if it doesn't happen for next month, I will have somebody else interesting and thoughtful and entertaining. Uh, Cool. All right. Uh, That's everything, I think. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. Farewell.